0: Football folks, doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got. Brady. So we're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL.
1: Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco?
0: And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Way about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson, back with you here in late June. Still talking all things NFL. How you doing,
1: Sam? Good. How about you, Steve? I'm doing great. You're back in your basement, I see. I am. I am. The sound should be better today. I'm still using the same equipment, but my basement is less of an echo chamber than the old man's office is. Yes. I could already tell. It's much better. And uh, again, we we apologize. Although you were the person that told me it was fine the first time, so I'm not sure I should trust your uh, your audio ear there. Just making you feel good. Not going to lie. Okay, okay. Um, you uh you had an interesting weekend apparently. I you.
0: did. I was um I I almost kept my mustache for the <laughs> podcast. So, yeah, I was I was at the NHRA uh, drag racing all weekend, wow. from all day Friday through uh, Sunday afternoon, nonstop. You, you don't strike me as the drag racing kind. I'm not. I was okay. uh, I was trying to help out that well. So that that program that I work with, uh, Hopo uh, Heritage House over here in Cincinnati, they were they were ushers for the event. To oh, help I like raise money for the program. So I was I was involved with, you know, about forty people. So I was living in a camper this weekend over at the drag <laughs> racing. I grew a mustache so I fit in with the crowd and everything and uh, how, uh, how so big a camper? Oh not big. Not big. I mean it okay. maybe sleeps three. You know. But uh it was just me and a
1: friend, so it was just two of us. It was all right, you know. That feels like the kind of thing that should should come with you know, photographic evidence of you in a small camper. (sighs) I know. Yeah. We probably
0: didn't document my ridiculousness this, uh, this weekend. Yeah.
1: I mean, look, I, I was telling my dad that like you, you're this fascinating case study of this whole world that the rest of us don't even need to think about, right? (laughs) Like weight limits on chairs and kayaks and very like I've since, since realizing that it's a thing. I've now discovered this whole world of, like, things that Steve can't mess with because the weight limit is just too low, right? I was gonna... And the weight limit is, like, 80 pounds before I even need to think about it. But for you, it's like, no, can't mess with that. I'm out. Can't I... go kayaking. I was... No, I can't do that.
0: I was going to send you a picture. I forgot my camping chair, which has, like, a 275-pound weight limit, <laughs> and I had to borrow others where it was 250. So I was like, man, right. if I sit in this all weekend, we're going to be in trouble. But, uh, you know, I managed. We had fun. It was fun. A lot of, uh, it's loud and it's, it's big. It's bigger than I, I, I didn't, I was never into drag racing. I didn't know how big it was, but there's a, there's a lot of people well, there. That's just but, another thing that you can't do. You know, you can't fit you in a dragster. No, no. You see how tight they get in there and all. I mean, it's, it's very precise. That's my, um, my friend that was there called it, uh, what was it? Uh, redneck calculus or something like that <laughs> because he was yeah. like this is so technical and all that stuff and it was it was impressive watching
1: i actually don't know if this holds for drag racing but generally speaking motor racing people are really small because yeah. the driver is unnecessary ballast right they're just unnecessary weight that you have to haul around the circuit yeah. so the smaller the driver the better right because a guy that you know a guy that's austin size is dragging around an awful lot less just extra weight than a guy that's your size, right? Yeah. It's, it's an, it's an advantage. Um, so I experienced a little bit of life and Steve this weekend, right? I went, we were visiting my parents and I drove one of my dad's other ridiculous cars, which is a 1952 or one Jaguar XK 120 uh tiny little sort of roadster thing from the fifties. And so the fifties, very small cars like the E-Type, for some reason, very big steering wheels, right? Tiny car, giant (laughs) steering wheel. And you sit in this thing, and if you want to use the throttle, the accelerator, the the wheel is like literally jammed up against your leg. Like you can't actually catches on your leg. I'm like, this is absurd. I I can't fit in this car and operate it, and I'm not a large human being. That's me in a midsize. Right. Yeah. I was like, Steve literally, literally would not fit in this car. Like it's one of those ones where – I started trying to get into it and my dad is like no 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 you got to turn your leg the other way. You can't get into it that way. Like if you did you know your knee won't bend the correct way to get it past <laughs> the steering wheel trying to get it in the way you're trying to get it in. Forget it. Don't you think it's funny. easy being me. You think it's easy. I,
0: well, mm. we both had. I mean this is this great summer weekends, you know, you just never know. Never know what you're going to get. Um today so let's get into some NFL stuff at some point. Um we're cut, we're gonna talk breakout players. We did that last year. Uh, players that we're anticipating a big jump, whether it's early in their career, whatever it might be. Uh, we've got articles recently written about QBs and how they handle pressure, and we got potential fixes for a contending teams. Sam, um, I also saw an email where I don't know if I like this, but we have a podcast listener who wants to pit us against our listeners. I don't I don't know if that's a, a smart I like idea. This a lot.
1: Yeah, yeah. So. Email came in, and as always, send us emails because good ideas like this pop along every now and again. Good ideas like the quarterbacks' sandwich thing come along, and just generally, it's a good place to be. So, at NFLpodcast.pff.com is the email to fire stuff into. Um, This email came in from Ken Horner. He sent us a couple of things. I don't even remember what the first one was, frankly, and it's not relevant to this. But the second idea I think is good. So he says, I heard the upset Raiders email. Remember, that was the email that was documenting point by point why Renner is an idiot and the rest of PFF, other than you for some reason, hates the Raiders.
0: Yeah, smart email, uh, good email. Yep.
1: Yeah. So he said he heard the upset Raiders email, certain that your predictions of their chances of 2022 success weren't high enough. Maybe you could start adding a few of those types of objections to a list that you can then revisit next year and evaluate PFF's record, versus the angry vocal listeners record. I really like that. I think we should absolutely have a running tally of what we think versus what the listeners think for this upcoming season and then, you know, we can we can give some kind of uh prize award, you know, whatever. We can figure out something to do for people where they get where they get it right and we got it wrong, right? The podcast we, type we of thing. We essentially bet with our listeners, right? Yeah. This is what PFF thinks. This is what our listeners think. And when they get it right and we get it wrong, you know, we'll, we'll throw them a bone somewhere.
0: And in, in our currency is basically PFF subscriptions, right? I mean, we can, we can well, that's, hand that, those that's out. That's definitely
1: the cheapest way of doing it
0: for us, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we want to hand out stuff that we don't have to give up ourselves. So, so we can hand out PFF subscriptions. We can hand out all those free books that you're getting sent. That's just yeah. what I'm thinking, yeah. yeah that's yeah. it. I can get you yeah, passes sure. to uh, NHRA, maybe, if you want to go watch some <laughs> drag racing. I can get you in there. Know the owner Hi. up here in Norwalk, Ohio. Uh-huh. You know, we could give away live, free stuff. You live close enough to Florida. Maybe the old man can, you know, throw you a ride in the E-Type. The I mean, E-Type. You know, oh, so man. Free rides in the E-Type. That's definitely great. But, you got you know, you got to be under six feet like Sam here.
1: Yeah, you got to be, well, the E-Type, you got to be more space in the E-Type. It's yeah. the 120 that's, uh, that's a problem for space.
0: Yeah, understood. So,
1: yeah, I kind of like that. As a
0: thing. So I think in general, we need to do a better job of keeping track. Can we get some interns, keep a track of everything over here,
1: please? And the great thing is, right, unless they're very specific in their emails or complaints generally, we can kind of, you know, we can tilt the table in our favor, right? Yeah. So the Raiders won. You know, oh, think the Raiders are great. We think yeah. the Raiders suck. We just have to set the line enough so that it's going to break our way. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So like the Raiders have
0: like over-under has got to be like 11 wins here for this guy to, to be justified that's what i'm saying yeah so we can yeah. kind of rig it a
1: little bit you know yeah so yeah we should absolutely set that up a running tally of pff versus the listeners this should be the first one raiders hate you know pff versus whatever this guy thinks they're going to finish at and we'll revisit it after the season and see you know if we're worth listening to or if in fact we should just create it create our show based off what everybody else thinks because apparently
0: we're idiots If we can't get some interns over here keeping track of this stuff, we might need some scribes straight from our listeners and viewers to keep track of this. Might need to. Might need a meme guy or something like that. (laughs) I don't know. We'll we'll figure it out. But I I like this. So if you want to present an argument, say, for your team, for players, um, I think the best arguments, if you feel strongly, much like the Raiders email, would be, Hey, you guys have hated on, or you haven't, yeah. you know, properly given credit to X player, right? Team, whatever it is, you can state your case. Like, hey, you guys are hating on the Lions. Well, my Lions are going to go twelve and five, right? Let's let's put some let's wager edge on it or whatever it might be. And
1: it be. can be look, it can be teams, it can be players, you know, whatever it is. Basically, yeah. but you need to. Yeah, we need it needs to be off the back of something we've already claimed or said or, you know, we believe strongly and you happen to think is we're full of it. So anything that we have already put out there in terms of takes, there'll be a lot more as we approach the season and we sure. preview, you know, what we think is going to happen for teams, for players, et cetera, et cetera. Email us in and tell us why we're wrong. Right. NFL podcast at PFF dot com. And let's set up a uh, let's set up a little wager between us and the listeners.
0: Reminder that the best place to play fantasy football this summer is Underdog Fantasy. Their Best Ball Mania tournament has $10 million in total prize money. And the best part is you just draft your fantasy football team and that's it. There's no waivers, no trades, no in-season management. Underdog gives you your best score each week of the season. And the highest scores at the end of the year win. The champion of Best Ball Mania last year drafted right here in June. So there's no time like the present to join Underdog and take your shot at a multi-million dollar draft. Plus, Underdog's going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with the promo code PFF. Also, if you play 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. So what are you waiting for? Head to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store, play $10 with code PFF, and draft your best ball mania team today. Your kind of fantasy
1: team here, Sam. Mm, said it out good and people. forget it the uh, friend of the show josh Norris.
0: yeah we like those guys over at underdog so uh appreciate their support we appreciate the ability to support them and we think we've got a great deal for everybody go to underdog fantasy right now and check it out all right man what do you want to start with here you want to tell go? me steve you're the, the guy in, in charge yeah sometimes i defer responsibilities to you mm. in the summer you know what I mean? I try to like take the summer oh, off. Oh, the summer. I see. Yeah. That's what it is. I'm in uh, summer mode. Okay. You know, I was talking to Renner. He w- w- this is the summer of Mike over here. He's like in between podcasts, you know, <laughs> yeah. just kind of lurking out there. And Mike doesn't have a home, you know? Right. He- he's, uh, it's kind of Mike's dream job, right? You're getting paid and you don't really have stuff to do, yeah. you know? That and does sound
1: very Mike. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, somebody should make him do something. <laughs> you know he kind of writes a couple articles a week but he's just you know puppy without a home right now is in, in podcast land i don't know what the plan yeah. is
1: did somebody well, get a, Renner a job <laughs> you're taking off right you're not here for a couple of shows so maybe we can get Renner in for those that's what i did you know i'm like Mike, no, I, know, since you, I noticed yeah. since you're not working you know well, you started you... off with these grand plans of you know i'll get all these people in it'll be you know star-studded guest lineup and that was just I uh, and we'll just get Renner in for the last few.
0: it was rick spielman Greg Rosen starting off well. Yeah. There's nobody else that was good. There's no one else. else, That was it. There's no one else our listeners want to hear. And uh, poor Renner, you got to keep his skills sharp, you know? Mm. It's not easy to just roll in and talk. You know, you got to stay sharp. Okay. But uh, you can get him on here. Uh, Let's go breakout players for the 2022 season. I want to give a little reminder of what this may have looked like last year at this point. Um, so this is one of those things where we do need somebody to, like, help us keep track because we did a breakout players <laughs> episode last year. I don't remember who we said. No, um, I'm pretty sure I said Quinn and Williams was one of the guys that would become a star. Mm. I don't think that happened. No. Um, but the actual breakout players last year, we saw Max Crosby go from pretty good, like a decent every down edge defender to one of the best in the league. Right. Unstoppable pass rusher, even against some a, a weak slate of right tackles. He dominated those guys several 10-plus pressure games. What, it was 100 total for the season that he ended up yeah. with? Max Crosby, uh, Devondre Campbell. Two two Packers, really. Devondre Campbell and Rashawn Gary. Uh, Gary doing it in year three as a former first-round pick. Devondre Campbell doing it uh, pretty much in the middle of his career and not having a year that didn't look anything like his previous career. Um, Jordan Mylata broke out last year. A guy, you know, former... Uh, rugby star turned left tackle and he had been getting better and better but he became one of the best left tackles in the league last year you saw A.J. Terrell at cornerback uh, former Clemson first rounder become really good so I mean just an example of last year at this time guys who are either coming off of you know just middling early career uh, performance and then all of a sudden becoming stars so uh, do you have some players you want to highlight here as far as breakout players I've got uh at least a few that we sh- that we can discuss.
1: Um, so the first one I think is worth talking about is a player who changed his name, Deontay Hardy, formerly... Uh, what the hell's was his name? Deontay Harris. Harris, Harris? yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, I forgot what he called himself. Uh, so Hardy's this, you know, tiny kind of speedster gimmick player for the New Orleans Saints. Five foot six, like 170 pounds, um and has only really been kind of deployed in those either designated deep threats or kind of gimmick roles in the offense uh but when you look at his profile so one the grades are pretty insane and they've gotten better as he's played in the nfl as his role has gotten bigger um each season of his career when you look at the kind of profile and start diving deeper and you look at you know whether it's against man coverage or zone coverage press all these kinds of things he actually grades well in like every subset that is typically indicative of, you know, can you win in a larger role? Can you be a much bigger player in your offense? And when you watch the Saints, like he was the biggest threat they had. Okay. A lot of that was by default, right? That was not a good receiving core. And there were a lot of, um, it was just sort of waiting for somebody to make some plays, right? And with no Michael Thomas and blah, blah, blah this is now tougher with Chris Alave in in the room with Michael Thomas, presumably coming back carving a role that's larger than the one he had last year is going to be trickier to do but every sort of shred of evidence out there suggests that with any kind of competent quarterback play and look Jameis Winston may be a loose cannon maybe you know wildly inconsistent but he's competent uh, with competent quarterback play I think there is actually a pretty decent season to be had for Deontay Hardy man I like that I wasn't expecting
0: a Deontay Hardy one but I mean he's there there's a point there's a lot of NFL teams um who are the guys they had I mean the the what I would have like John Ross do essentially um just be kind of, be kind of like the designated deep threat you know your fourth sure. wide receiver and Harris actually did that as well as anybody over these last couple of years um who's the guy uh, Khalif Raymond did it for the Titans right um yeah. who's the guy in the Lions a couple of years ago too I'm sorry why is my mind going blank? But there are these guys who would have, for the season, to be like 10 catches, 240 yards, right? Like it's all just deep threat type of stuff. Deontay Hardy now did that extremely well in that particular role. And then what that does, so if you're just running deep posts and overs and goes and all that stuff, all of a sudden that opens up a deep comeback, a deep out route, and, and a guy can become a little bit more than a you know 20 yards per catch guy. I think he's got those types of skills, He's also he's such a dynamic punt returner. Um, so, you know, how much do you want to take him away from that? But I like that call, you know, especially on a Saints receiving core uh, where, yeah, they've added, you know, with Chris Olave and Michael Thomas coming back, but th- they have those guys that could be more high-volume guys. Hardy could still play to his strengths and become a legitimate deep thread and
1: maybe even a little bit more coming off that. Yeah, I, like I, I really think, I mean, I say it's, it's a tougher room to do it in this year because you're going to have some competition for targets um with some legit wide receivers there but hardy has a skill set that he could be a real impact playmaker for them all right so i'm gonna i'm gonna pull my breakout players in
0: part based off of what we saw uh what we thought about them coming out of college have they have they reached their potential yet so i'm gonna start with christian barmore from the new england patriots a guy that we had as our number one interior defensive lineman in the 2021 draft he fell all the way to pick 38. In this uh, goes in the second round to the Patriots last year. We did see him play. It's not like he wasn't on the field. Over 600 snaps, 63 PFF grade. By the way, you can get all these grades, stats, snap counts, all that stuff over at PFF.com using promo code NFLPOD. You can get 25% off. This is straight from our Elite package, Premium Stats. Um, so you have Edge or Elite, you can get 25% off any of those subscriptions using NFLPOD. Uh, But Barmore had a 76 pass rush grade. He still had 51 pressures. He wasn't nearly as good against the run. Um, So a guy that hasn't put it all together yet, but in one facet, was really good. But I think he's the type of guy. He was explosive. He's difficult to block. I think, you know, adjusting to the Patriots' system as a run defender, probably a little bit more difficult for Barmore. But I think he's got the ability to be a legitimate breakout player. So for the second year in a row, I'll go with another former Alabama interior defensive lineman as a breakout player. I'm going to say Christian Barmore is going to take a big step forward this year.
1: Yeah, I actually, I like that. I think there's every chance that he will remember like Barmore, the consensus kind of number one interior player in that draft class, but one that didn't go very high. And a lot of people couldn't work out why, you know, and a lot of the times when that happens, it's because it's not an on the field tape problem it's a you know it doesn't interview well it's a character concerns it's a whatever it is it's something that doesn't show up in their tape you know you're not looking at this now there's the problem right i've identified it that's why he's not going high it's something that you don't know that's happening behind the scenes um so the patriots draft him and all of a sudden you're like well okay whatever it is it automatically makes you a little bit less concerned just because of the history of the patriots the environment they are working with the uh, the general sort of ambience of being able to take these quote unquote problem child players and, you know, turn them into something good. So immediately you're, you're a little bit less concerned. And then so far what we've seen from him, like it's already apparent he can play. Right. So even if it was, whether it's character concerns, whether it's like, you know, questions about whether he'll pick up the playbook, like whatever the issue is right now, it shouldn't be a big issue because we've already seen him play pretty well for a year within that environment the environment isn't really changing you know i know they're uh tooling around with coaches in the in the patriots organization generally but overall this is the same thing i i think it's set for him to take a big step year 2
0: all right man who else uh any
1: other players i mean i hope you have some other players but uh yeah um who else you got joseph Noteboom. Uh, oh. offensive tackle for the Rams. Now they paid him like they're expecting this, this breakout as well. You're following um, the money trail here by the, behind
0: the Rams evaluation of no Boom.
1: Well, certainly in this instance, I mean, the, the money trail matches up with the with the, the small sample size of very good play, right? The Rams, you know, they had Andrew Whitworth playing out of his mind at the age of 40, you know, old man wit out there. Um, Whitworth misses a little bit of time. Joseph Noboom comes in, plays left tackle which is essentially the, the first real time, not the first time that he'd done that, but first time he'd sort of, he'd had one position to play for the season. Um, came in, played left tackle, had a couple of starts there and looked really good in those starts. He also had one starter or one game at right tackle as well. But, you know, anyway, no boom. College uh, left tackle grades well in those couple of games at left tackle. And then the Rams you know, Whitworth retires and the Rams don't just sort of, you know, make him a modest offer to keep him around. They pay him pretty big money to keep him in the building as Whitworth's successor. Um, So you put all those things together. He's athletic. He's got the prototype. He's got the size, like everything you want is there and the Rams at least clearly believe that that's going to happen. So, you know, I, I will, I will give them the benefit of the doubt and, Join my uh, join my way to their uh, their predictions and suggest that no boom will have a good season as well.
0: Yeah, I like it. I think you know, one of the ways it doesn't always work, but grabbing small sample size of good play, right, and projecting it forward, we have seen that historically. We saw that with Richard Sherman earlier his career and Chris Harris and um, Shaq Barrett was a guy. You know, you do see that sometimes where a guy just does well either filling in as a starter or as a you know, as a role player, and then when given the bigger opportunity, they do perform well. So, yeah, I'm I'm interested to see Nopu's development because there were other paths, I think, that the Rams could have taken at left sure. tackle, right? And they invested in him, you know, probably even before, the, before they needed to even. Um, I like it. Uh, one of the players I want to highlight, too, um, I'll, I'll do uh, two Browns at the same time here. Chase Winovich, all right? So I'm going to take a stab at this one. Chase wow. Winovich, breaking out with the Browns. New, you know, he was a guy that, uh, we really liked coming out goes third round out of Michigan to the Patriots, right? Third or fourth round, um, but Winovich early on it was like, wow, this guy looks great. Steal for the Patriots, right? He, he's a good pass rusher. He was pretty solid against the run, but there was a point where things eh, things got a little ugly in New England, right? He just wasn't fitting in, and with the Patriots because they are so scheme specific every single week, sometimes you have a guy that. Maybe is a good pass rusher, but they just they want him to drop into coverage. They want him to just you know play the run, whatever it might be. Winovich didn't take to all of the many roles that the Patriots put him in, but I still think he can get after the quarterback. And I think the Browns are going to give him that opportunity. You've got Miles Garrett there. You got Clowney officially back yet with them? Yeah. And Winovich can be that number three edge and maybe just get after the quarterback and be say a fifty pressure guy in. Uh, a third edge defender type of role. I think he has that type of potential. So I'm going to go back to some previous evaluation and what we've seen in the NFL and say change of scenery is going to work for Chase Winovich. And then Jeremiah Owuso-Karamoa, again, did he break out last year as a rookie? Yes. Let's say he becomes a star this year at linebacker. So he's my good to great type of prediction. I think JOK, the speed, the recognition, the way
1: he plays the game, taking that to the next level this season for the Browns. The Winovich one is interesting because he's been, you know, okay, but he's never kicked on the way we thought he could, the way, you know, potentially he showed like he might earlier in his career. And he's one of those, you know, we talk all the time about how you really like to see that sort of the nice, neat pattern of a grade getting better every year and a guy just descending, nice, neat linear curve of just getting better every year of his career. Winovich's pass rushing grade has gotten worse each year of his career, right? Started off and it was a, or sorry, the the pass rushing grade um, got slightly better year one to year two, and then drove off a cliff when he barely played. But it hasn't had that nice linear jump every year that we expected. Uh, it kind of hit this plateau and hasn't um, hasn't taken off. And at the same time, remember that was the the Michigan team where Winovich was one player, Rashawn Gary was the other, and it was the sort of uh, almost like a referendum on do you prefer incredible production or incredible athleticism, right? Rashawn Gary was the sort of freak prototype athlete, but hadn't really produced that much in college. And Winovich was the guy that produced a ton, but didn't have the physical tools Gary did. And, you know, draft time, PFF was all about, we'll take the guy that's, that's proven it over the super athlete and year one, it looked good, right? Year one, Winovich was the productive guy. Rashawn Gary didn't really show it. And now a few years down the line, Rashawn Gary just had his breakout season. He looks like one of the best edge rushers in the NFL right now. And Winovich has gone in the other direction, just hasn't been that guy. So I'm interested to see that one. I certainly i am kind of out of confidence at this point with Winovich, but um, I'm here to see it. I'm going to stick with the linebacker thing though, because I think JOK is a good one. I think he would have already broken out if he'd stayed healthy the whole year and just been a, a superstar already. I think that Zayvon Collins could Ooh. be prime for a big year for Arizona. The Cardinals have had this run now where they've been taking these linebackers in the first round, Isaiah Simmons, Zayvon Collins, and then they just don't play them as rookies, right? And with Isaiah Simmons, I think the plan was to play him. And then Kyle Shanahan just, like, took a blowtorch to the guy in week one or week two or whatever it was. And they just reassessed the entire plan. It's like, oh, dude, if he's out here and this is how our teams are treating it, just like putting a bullseye on him that's not going to work. So they like massively scaled back his playing time. They had him just in in a, like a little uh, on a, a sub package and then eventually scaled it back up as the year went on. Zayvon Collins, though, just couldn't even get on the field. Like they, they didn't have him playing. Um, Dad Hicks, dad uh, Isaiah Simmons. There's just no playing time for Collins. And yet every time he actually got on the field, he looked good. Um, and even in like tiny sample size stuff, you know, you sort of saw the tiny margins for error that linebackers have at this level. Like he made, he was on the field for a little bit against Carolina and he just got put in a blender. Like there was one play where he got one-on-one in the open field against, you know, it was Christian McCaffrey who just wrecked him. And then there was a play where he was like one-on-one against Cam Newton, you know, down by the goal line again. It's like, you just, it's tough. Like playing linebackers is a nightmare in today's NFL. That's why some of these guys struggle when they transition. But I think, you could see him read the run game in particular really well he filled uh, against the run really quickly really decisively made an impact there i didn't see a problem in coverage or, or sort of range all those kinds of things i think he just needed playing time and there wasn't any last season for him in arizona but they've moved on you know from one linebacker simmons is still there i think this is Collins' job this season and based off last year, I don't see any reason why he couldn't have a big jump this season. I'll tell you what could be huge for
0: Arizona is if that does come true. And Isaiah Simmons breaks out in year three, because Isaiah Simmons hasn't lived up to his hype as the number eight overall linebacker. Like to your point, Collins has generally played decent in his limited time. So yeah, if they can get those back to back first round linebackers looking a little bit better, uh, maybe make up for the question marks that they have at cornerback there, right? The fact that Arizona, uh can maybe manufacture a pass rush if JJ Watt gets back. You've got guys like Byron Murphy, Buda Baker on the back end like you need these linebackers to step up. So I think not only is Zayvon Collins a poten- potential breakout player but an important one, you know, in that in that system for Arizona. Um I'm going to go with I'm going to go back to last year's rookies and say Elijah Moore, so Jets wide receiver, again another guy that Started to figure out a little bit better, I think, down the stretch. I was a little – I think there's some nuanced stuff to his route running he can get a little bit better at, but the guy knows how to get open. Uh, He's very good. I think the additions of Garrett Wilson, already having Corey Davis there, you know, again, more weapons, more ability there, but I think he could steal some Corey Davis targets, right? And as Garrett Wilson's getting up to speed, we don't see receivers immediately hit the ground running all the time. So Elijah Moore being a year ahead, say, of a Garrett Wilson – could steal some targets early on and more is good he's just good overall and I think he's got a chance to be a breakout star this year uh maybe coinciding with Zach Wilson
1: potentially breaking out for the Jets we'll see how do you see the breakdown of targets going with the Jets because like you said Garrett Wilson their their top or their first round pick this year a first round pick um Corey Davis the great Hall of Famer you know gets to move back to being a, a number two um you have Braxton Berrios still there to kind of muddy the the slot targets as well. But Elijah Moore is a player that isn't just a slot guy. You know, it's not purely pegged as being a slot receiver only. I think, you know, me and Mike Renner had that debate before the draft. I think he's already shown at the very minimum that they're prepared to use him outside. Um, And that will be a part of his game rather than being limited to strictly a slot player only. So how do you see that breakdown of him where do the targets come from in terms of him having a monster season
0: we yeah we we might not see it in volume but I think we'll see I think we can see it in grade and efficiency with more because to your point not only do they have all those receivers but you also have Tyler Conklin who came in at tight end and CJ Azama like both guys that they paid a decent chunk of change at tight end but I think they've built a system with the Jets that is more conducive to winning because in any given week, maybe the tight ends are, are there. You know, maybe it's the receivers. Uh, maybe it's the run game. It is a Shanahan uh, system. But I think Elijah Moore steals some of Corey Davis's targets this year if he plays better. Right. I mean, if he, he's just more. He's just used to the system. You steal some of Corey Davis's. Garrett Wilson has time to get acclimated. I think Moore could be the number two targeted receiver this year. Uh, behind say Corey Davis, right? It's kind of a lot depends on Garrett Wilson's development. Who you know he's really good, but I don't know if he's going to have a Jamar Chase impact right away and just become the number one. So I think Elijah Elijah Moore could be target number two for the Jets. But I'm calling this breakout less so that like, hey, we're going to see 90 catches from him, and more so we're just going to be like, hey, this guy's a really good efficient move the chains type of receiver. Guy gets open, guy always gets the job done, and he'll have some games. There'll be some games where Elijah Moore's the dude, right, for the Jets. Um, other times it could be the tight ends, could be Corey Davis, could be Garrett Wilson. But I think that's the beauty of, of putting that group of pass catchers together for the Jets. They've done a really nice job of giving themselves some options.
1: Okay. Um, I think that we should I we have one to remember. Say that again? I have one more. Okay. Whenever you're ready. Uh, I think we need to remember that Travis Etienne is, is a thing. Ooh, you yeah. Know? First round pick. Um, first round pick that they then tried to turn into some kind of like hybrid slash actual receiver. Um, but Etienne has this profile of, you know, that speed and explosiveness thing where, you know, once you can get through that line, you can take the ball 50 yards, right? That I think the trend of running backs in today's NFL is less about short area, um, you know, contact balance and uh, ability to make people miss and yards after contact. It's about like can you find a crease, burst through the line, and then accelerate past everybody? You know, and, and outrun people into space because that's kind of what today's and today's offenses are doing. All this wide zone stuff, all these spread formations. You're creating more space in and around the line of scrimmage. So. You don't need a guy that can make four people miss and kind of drag bodies for eight more yards. You need a guy who, if you can give him a yard of space with the blocking, he can turn, he can just outrun the players at the second level and the third level into much more space and create massive plays. And, you know, the the analytics and the data is sort of showing this tight correlation between that type of player, the explosive um, skill set and production, obviously. And Etienne certainly if that draft class like was the best running back that fit that profile, he had that explosive knack, the ability to turn those plays into huge uh, gains at any given moment. And then the guy was on the shelf, you know, for the entire entirety of his rookie year, didn't feature, didn't play um, at receiver or running back. I think that cross training at receiver kind of hurt, you know, that only I think held his case. Even if he goes back to being a running back right now, I think that, didn't do him any harm whatsoever. And now, you know, we're expecting this offense to be functional without Urban Meyer and the the disaster, the toxic environment that was there year one. Um and, you know, there's a group of people expecting Trevor Lawrence to take that step as well. So I think Travis Etienne is a guy that a lot of people are sort of forgetting about because he just hasn't featured yet. But this is a guy that profiled as potentially being the best running back from his draft class. And whether he's a running back or a hybrid weapon or a receiver, the dude has playmaking ability. I always thought there was some Dalvin Cook esque elements right. to idea, his game. Right? Right? Um
0: Dalvin tested what he ran in the four fours, but it's like when yeah. you watch him on the field, he runs four three, right? I and mean, he's a right. four three on the field, angle breaking runner. Etienne definitely had elements of that at Clemson. He just knew how to create big plays. Um so, yeah, that's a good one because we, we didn't see him last year. And um, if the Jags do take a step forward, I think he'll have more opportunities there. I was um, not the guy I was thinking of, but I was going to say Javante Williams, too. The other 2021 running back gets drafted a few picks behind at the end and already got off to a pretty decent start, forced a ridiculous 63 missed tackles on just 203 carries. That's an insane number. But now with Russell Wilson in Denver – uh, Javante Williams probably stealing more carries, right? In the you know, he was sharing time last year with Melvin Gordon. I think Javante Williams has a chance to really be a breakout player as well. I'm sure the fantasy people are already all over that, so that's not a unique yeah. take. Um, this will be a unique take. Breakout player for this year, Trayvon Diggs. Trayvon Diggs <laughs> is going to break out in PFF terms, uh-huh. right? The world says he's already become the best corner in the NFL. He's got 11 interceptions last year and all that stuff. I think Trayvon Diggs is going to have one of those years where he has far fewer interceptions, five or six, whatever it might be, and be a better player, right? I think he's been a good corner. He's been a good, solid corner to this point. He'll cut down on some of the – I mean, there were coverage busts last year. They were just – he gave up over 1,000 yards, which is – Again, we we track all of this stuff. It's not always fair to directly give every coverage yard to the the player. It's just this general gauge. I think the PFF grade does a really good job, though, of saying where a guy played uh, or how well a guy played. And Diggs has been a solid corner for two years, and I think he's got a chance to take a step back and actually be more of a lockdown, don't give up catches, don't give up big plays corner while at the same time not having nearly as many interceptions, right? The balls are not going to find his hands as much this year, the tipped passes and in, in all those plays. So I think D- Tr- Trayvon Diggs is going to be better this year than he was last year, snap to snap.
1: I would love to see you write the article after the season that says that, you know, Trayvon Diggs had a breakout year and just watch your replies. when they come <laughs> in for that. Um, by the way, the, you're right. the The idea that, you know, assigning yards – individually to one player is not always the cleanest way of doing it. And, you know, there are, there are yards in there that potentially belong equally to somebody else in addition to Trayvon Diggs' bad coverage on the play. You know, and if you take those away from him, it's not 1,000 yards, it's maybe 800 yards. Um, that's true, but you can almost entirely offset the yards that you would be removing with the ones that you add back on if you count it as penalties. You know what I mean? not penalties or yards that we kind of forget about and dismiss because they don't appear in coverage numbers. They appear, they don't even, like you have to go looking for them and tot up like, okay, if if all these penalties um, are attributed in yardage terms, what does that do? Well, you know, Diggs had an absolute ton of penalties. So if we take away those yards that might not technically entirely belong to him in coverage, we can add them back with the penalty plays. So, you know, you can't, we don't, There's a reason that Trayvon Diggs had the coverage grade that he had, right? And it's not explained by, well, the system's flawed. It's giving him yardage that he doesn't, you know, deserve. I mean, there's more yardage out there as well. How many penalties last year? 11. 11
0: penalties last year for Trayvon Diggs, Yeah. Look, I, I just think he'll be better this year. Um, if I do write the article that he broke out this year, that would—I mean—that feels like trolling. That feels like yeah. idiots, you know. Yeah. But we'll <laughs> see. You know, Diggs ends up with like an 84 coverage grade. You know, you know, adds almost 20 points to his coverage grade and has like three picks. That'd be great. But that's what we've said throughout the years, right? Is don't look at just a handful of plays. Don't look at just the box score. And the box score doesn't. Of all sports, the box score probably tells the worst story in football. Uh, as far as just traditional box box score stats go in my opinion so um by the way let us know in the chat we've already got some people you know predicting their breakout players let us know in the chat who do you think is going to break out this year we have uh, a Panthers fan here who's um I respect I respect when you you read the you know the beat writer hype you know you got to read the hype in June you got to read the minicamp hype he's talking about tell
1: me Sam Darnold is going to break out no no no
0: Jared Patterson in the in the chat here, I think he's smarter than that. He's talking about Terrace Marshall. He's talking about J.C. Horn as potential breakout guys. I could see all that. I could see that. Um, we've got somebody recommending Jerry Judy. Uh, our own Mike Renner did write an article a few weeks back about third-year breakout players. He predicted Jerry Judy as the top player right there, I think. Uh, are you on
1: board with that as a Jerry Judy guy? Are you expecting a year three breakout there? I am being extremely quiet about Jerry Judy because I don't want to jinx it. Yeah, You know, I desperately hope and would love to see Jerry Judy break out with Russell Wilson, but I don't want to ruin it because, you know, have you seen the main, the PFF Twitter account is out here throwing around the player's name willy-nilly, like saw like that. there's no injury jinx attached to this. And, you know, people are tagging us about, have you seen what's happening? I, I've seen it. I, there's nothing I can do about it. I've, I've made our stance clear and, there they're throwing his name out there and look, I'm, I'm not, not sure i'm not sure injuries where's gordon gordon you got to get the
0: social team listening to the pff nfl podcast here you got to understand the rules number three on the charges we don't mention his name You hashtag the player do he gets injured yeah i mean he's probably under the knife right now after <laughs> that tweet just saying but we yeah. appreciate the listeners responding properly to the tweet and uh, putting our social team in their place. Don't mention the dude's name. Mm-hmm. Did you have anyone else? No, I'm break. I think we're done with breakout players. All right. So uh, yeah, appreciate uh, all the uh, insight too in the uh, in the YouTube chat. Who else do we have? Anyone else? Jalen Phillips gonna have a monster season, establish himself as one of the elite pass rushers. Dolphins edge okay. defender, first round pick. Alan Lazard, somebody that people have brought up. Uh, in part because yeah. of opportunities,
1: could happen. I, look, I the Lazard I think has a good chance to start the season as Green like Aaron Rodgers' unquestioned number one target. I just don't know that you can look at Lazard's career so far and see that he has the skill set to continue that for any length of time. Like if if Rodgers was able to create a monster season out of Alan Lazard, it would be one of the most impressive quarterback feats we've seen. In a long, long time like that. I, a, a Lazard has a lot to like about him and Rogers clearly trusts him, which is no small thing, by the way, like one of the issues with Aaron Rodgers and, and potentially why Green Bay's receiving core has been, you know, a little bit of a problem, even with an elite wide receiver has been like the guy is not able to very quickly and immediately build like this chemistry connection rapport with anybody like he just doesn't trust some of these guys and a lot of what he does is built on that trust you watch the number of times like if he looks up and it's single coverage and Devontae adams it's just like an auto target you know the ball's going there and oftentimes it's back shoulder and that kind of just knowledge between the two of them is built in and it's a level of trust lazard is the first guy who's come in and you can see that rogers trusts him in a similar way now obviously lazard doesn't have Devontae adams skill set so it doesn't end in the same results. But Lazard has a similar thing where like if Rogers looks up, sees him in single coverage in the outside with nobody else there, he'll throw it there without thinking about it. And he doesn't do that to an awful lot of receivers. So there's something to that. And that is a huge advantage that Lazard has over Christian Watson and Romeo Dubs and Sammy Watkins. He's already got that in the bank. So I think he starts off as the team's number one target and the guy that gets, you know, a, a lot of opportunity because of that. But he just doesn't have the dynamism. He just doesn't have, like, the all round skill set to be a dominant receiver. So, there's only so long that Rodgers can keep pitching him the ball 15 times a game, you know, and hope that that's enough. Like, eventually, he's going to have to pivot away and find somebody else. Or, you know, if he can, as I said, (laughs) create, like, a 1,200-yard receiver and 10 touchdowns out of Alan Lazard based purely – off the fact that he trusts him and he's Aaron Rodgers, so we can put the ball in, like into a window on his back shoulder. That will be a pretty incredible feat. I think you're underrating Lazard a little
0: bit. He's a, I mean, for his size, you, you think he's going to be a clunky route runner. I mean, he can get open a little bit again. He's not Devonte Adams. We're never going to say he is, but, I like Lazard. He's a solid player. You're right, though. He's going to probably see a lot of targets early on, especially, I mean, if Christian Watson becomes like a second-half breakout, you know, they slowly bring him along, and then he becomes a legit threat by week 10 or whatever. That's not a bad path for the Packers either, you know, for Watson to eventually um, become—you'll earn his targets maybe as the season goes. All right, well, I want to get into uh, quarterbacks under pressure and how much they drop off, but first, gentlemen— All men strive for gold in their life, right? Gold watches, gold medals, gold everything. However, there's a certain type of man who goes the extra mile. He walks with the confidence of an eagle and giggles in the face of danger. He's a big, hairless, winning machine. And when he unzips his pants, he sees platinum. Platinum? That's right. Manscaped would like to introduce you to their best and biggest ultimate hygiene bundle yet, the Platinum Package 4.0. Manscaped is the leader in below the waist grooming. Now trust them with the whole shebang. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com you get 20% off plus free shipping using the code PFF. Manscaped's brand new Platinum Package 4.0 is the biggest bundle they've ever offered, giving you a bulk discount on Manscaped's top products. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF over at manscaped.com. It's 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code PFF. It's time you enjoyed the finer things in life and get yourself a Platinum Package for your Platinum Package. Say it with a straight face, Steve. Stay. Say it with a straight face. Platinum Package, 4.0. Go Manscaped. Manscaped.com. Use PFF.
1: And we got some healthy discount going on that Platinum Package there. That's
0: right. That's right. 20% platinum. off, man.
1: Yes. Also, I'm a big fan of any uh, any read that uses the term shebang the whole shebang don't hear that very often yeah i think more we should hear it
0: more it also helps me from uh, listing out all of the items but they're all great right so yeah you get a lot a of lot different of items it's the whole shebang check it out Manscapes.com. all right let's go the quarterbacks who dropped off the most under pressure you want to put a little uh background to this and and where this is found over at pff.com
1: Yeah, well, it's found over at Uh, BFF.com. Brian Torn wrote the article. Um, So quarterback under pressure is one of those fascinating elements of quarterback play. And one of the things that we've discovered you know, at BFF is that the play, uh, when you're not under pressure, play from a clean pocket, is way more predictable, uh, way more stable, predictable year on year. That's the thing to sort of focus on in terms of how good a quarterback is and how good you can expect him to be going forward. Essentially play under pressure um it's noisy there's a lot of variance there it can swing wildly year to year uh in one direction or other and particularly guys that are very good under pressure is generally not very sustainable and predictable year to year now where i think it does get a little bit interesting is that i think guys that struggle under pressure is a little bit more predictable than guys that thrive under pressure. And in particular, you know, guys that do very well from a clean pocket, but do very badly when they're under pressure. I I think there is something to those players. And that is a type of guy that doesn't necessarily um, change. Like the, the, the variance may change year to year, you know? So the, the most, the biggest difference from any player last year was Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Number one, he had a, a clean pocket, grade of 90.2 so elite right elite from a clean pocket but when he was pressured his passing grade dropped 29.2 right which is about as bad as it gets basically goes from being an elite top five type of quarterback to being the worst passer in the nfl if you were able to apply pressure in the pocket again
0: that's Uh, that's using pff passing grade not passer rating or anything like that we're talking about passing grade grading every single player every single throw by the quarterback right Um,
1: so that look at those top two players, my cops, man. You're right, Jimmy Garoppolo and Tua. Um, so the point being, like, that that's that the severity of that swing will change year to year, right? It's not going to go from 90 to 30 every single season, but Jimmy Garoppolo, I think, is a player that will find that kind of breakdown. Um, you know a lot of seasons more often than not we're going to see like a pretty significant drop from him he's not a guy that thrives under pressure you go back to 2019 similar story right 90 grade when he was kept clean 42 when he was pressured um the was 20 2018 was which was his good season 2017 that's the one year
0: is when he got traded and had that Run where the Niners went 6-0, and 0, graded at Which earned six him six his 0. contract, yeah. yeah.
1: That's yeah. the one year where it was all kind of level, right, where he didn't see this massive drop-off when he was pressured. But otherwise, basically every single season of his career, we've seen a pretty significant drop-off from him when he got pressured. So that, to me, is why the list is pretty interesting because I think the type of player that falls into this category, it may not be every season and the severity may change, but this type of player i think is a thing that there are guys that will will be in this bucket essentially for the majority of their career yeah and so tua being number
0: two i've continued to make a jimmy garoppolo type of comp for tua there's a lot of ways that that can show up perhaps in the difference between clean pocket and pressured part of the reason why i made that comp coming out is because tua did have some head scratchers head scratchers under pressure right and and that's where Garoppolo, we, all of our week-by-week analysis, particularly last year, Sam, was like, man, Jimmy G's not bad, but there are three or four plays per game where he just throws it to the defense. He does panic a little bit. Last year he had four, Jimmy G here, 14 turnover-worthy plays, not a big, no big-time throws when under pressure, right? There was just guys were cra- uh, bearing down on him, and he's just kind of throwing it up for grabs. Now, this, the, part of the reason why under-pressure play – is inconsistent is because I've said the opposite about Garoppolo at various points in his career especially early on his willingness to make throws under pressure and kind of sidearm it around the defender who's like directly in his face and he made some great throws the willingness sometimes it's a good thing right you stand in there you make these plays but the results are all over the place this was always my contention with Nick Foles right he's gonna stand in there Sometimes it's going to go well. Sometimes it's not going to go well for Garoppolo, particularly these last couple of years, it has not gone well. Um, Cause again, what looks like a little panicky when it doesn't, it looks a little panicky when it doesn't go well, it looks tough when it does right. go well, you know what I mean? But it's the same idea, the willingness to make plays under pressure. Garoppolo kind of has that. Um, and again, with Tua, both of these guys, I don't think either guy has a spectacular arm and, you know you have to be absolutely precise when you're making plays under pressure and you can't lose any velocity and you have to be able to throw off platform and I think those might be a couple of those things that Jimmy G and Tua are perhaps lacking here and why they have the biggest drop off under pressure
1: I was going to make a point about Tua and then it occurred to me that I don't know if it's actually true or not um that's okay you just make it anyway well I can I can find out if you know if it's true or not if this is something we've tested or if this is something we should test um you know in in his defense was my point that like miami's offensive line was historically wretched like it was the worst offensive line in the nfl it was a disaster even though it was being protected reasonably well schematically in terms of rpos and getting the ball out quickly it was a disaster and i think pressure is one of those things where it compounds or it magnif- it, it uh it multiplies depending on how much pressure you get like if If you have a guy who's under pressure, you know, 15% of the time, it's less of a big deal than the guy who's under pressure 45% of the time, you know, three times more, it's going to have a bigger impact. Um, And I think that's why, you know, you see quarterbacks that get broken by pressure because even when the pressure isn't coming, they feel it. Like they anticipate the pressure because they've been under so much of it. Have we – Tested that? Like the more pressure you get, the bigger a problem it is, the bigger an impact it has.
0: I don't know. We could probably take a look at that. Um you and I looked at it at a game level a little right. bit, right? We looked at it, hey, if you get over forty percent or so, it's just like all right, this is you just can't perform. Like your your yeah. your bottom line statistically that
1: game is gonna take a yeah, massive hit. I'd, I'd be interested to see just as a, like a, a general league wide trend in you know in terms of EPA or whatever yeah. the output you want to look at is the does the volume of pressure you create have a bigger make the individual pressure have a bigger impact and i would suggest it does but i think we probably need you know the R&D guys the good doctor to take a look at it and get some proof
0: the other I mean the other element there is that quarterback does the QB does control his pressure rate, right, a little bit. So there's this element of you're at the mercy of your offensive line a percentage of the time, and then you also can just make better decisions and not be under pressure. Um, so the top two on the list, Jimmy Garoppolo, Tua, both guys had the biggest drop-offs from clean pocket performance to pressured pocket performance. Again, performance is best measured by pff grade not by team-based stats like epa or passer rating and things like that number three was davis mills so a couple of rookies here davis mills big drop off justin fields a big drop off fields is one of those guys again the narrative is the offensive line was trash he was always under pressure there were some plays where that was absolutely true there was also plenty of play plays where justin fields did not get the ball out quickly the same issue that he looked like he had in at ohio state did show up as a rookie so justin fields wasn't good under pressure and he also probably invited way more pressure than he should have as well Mm -hmm. yeah i mean here's i want to mention this too scheme matters in a lot of these cases we've seen it anecdotally like you see certain plays andrew luck had parts times in his career where it's like the blitz is coming and you look at the pass concept it's like where is he supposed to throw the ball He's got like three fifteen-yard routes going, yeah. and he's got no outlet. He's got nobody to throw it to.
1: I mean, it's just yes. avoiding
0: a negative for a, a quick dump off or a hot route or whatever it might be. Sometimes it's just not baked into the system the way it needs to. So system matters to a point when it comes to under pressure, um, particularly against the blitz, because you have to have answers, and not every system is. Properly equipped for that, we'll say.
1: Yeah, it's it's not even just scheme. Like everything matters, and this is <laughs> if you zoom all the way out, right? This is the crux of why football has taken over the world in this world in this landscape of social media and instant reaction and um, black or white opinions, because football doesn't function in black or white opinions. Right? Everything is so interlinked that it's impossible to separate everything, which means in this world of you're either one thing or the other it's yes or no it's you know black or white it's just one extreme or the other every opinion in the world about football is wrong everybody's wrong everybody about everything there's not a single right opinion in the world of the NFL right because everything has two or three different things that influence it to a varying degree. So when you look at pressure, you're right. You can swing it completely if your scheme is idiotic and it's not giving guys the ability to get the ball out of their hands fast enough so they're getting murdered, right? And you, you go back to, remember, uh, the the Minnesota Vikings when they were still rolling with um, North Turner's offense, and it was seven-step drops, and it was two receivers out in patterns on a bad offensive line, and there was nowhere to go with the football, right? And this was is Teddy Bridgewater conservative or did he just not have any opportunities to, you know, execute simple passes that other quarterbacks did, right? We didn't know because the scheme was such a heavily influencing factor. Uh, Tom Brady and the Patriots, when they had the worst receiving core in the NFL, it made the offensive line worse. It made Tom Brady worse under pressure because nobody is open. And no matter how long Tom Brady held the ball for, nobody would get open. So he got worse overall. The offensive line got worse because he had to hold the ball longer. He got worse under pressure because when he held the ball so long that the offensive line gave up pressure, he didn't have anywhere to go with the ball. So he had to make worse things happen under pressure. So the receiving core made two other things, two or three other things look worse. So, you know, we're trying to sort of look at this and distill it and say, well, this is the quarterback. It's this guy is inherently susceptible to pressure but you're right. It's in, it's all dependent on like three other things at any given moment. And what you have to hope is, you know, when you're talking about Jimmy G is this type player and Tua is this type of player, what you're really saying is like, within tolerances of the other influencing factors, right? Like assuming the scheme isn't catastrophic and assuming his, his supporting cast isn't catastrophic Like, assuming they are just in the normal range of tolerances, he's this type of player. But you can't put that out there because it's seven layers of caveat beyond what anybody is listening, you know, on Twitter. Like, try to imagine, yeah, here's what I'm actually trying to say, and here are the seven caveats that need to come after it. Nobody's reading them, right? So everyone just puts out these opinions, and because they are wrong, because they're all contingent on these other things – that's what sparks debate, and that 's why football as an entity the nFL is an all conquering force because every opinion in the world is wrong
0: and that's a lot,
1: so that's also why a lot of people hate the analytics
0: right when it comes to football i guess they hate it with all sports, but in football in particular, you could poke more holes in theories that have come through you know numbers driven analysis. you could poke more holes because there's more outliers right it's like well, you said this, but you know, this other thing happened and this other thing happened and this other thing happened. It doesn't back up your point where I think in other sports, it is more clear. Like we had this insight and it's it's just a lot more stable. It's a lot more consistent. Whereas in football, if we're giving an opinion and say, hey, clean pockets, more stable than a pressured pocket. It, we're not nearly as confident in that year to year than, say, in baseball that on-base percentage is better than batting average, right? Like, you could feel really confident that avoiding outs in baseball is better than, you know, batting average. And you could prove that it's more consistent. Whereas in football, we could say, hey, clean pocket's better than pressured pocket and this and that, but there'd probably be way more outliers in a given season, Um, especially when you look at it year-to-year. There's just more dependencies. Uh, One of the interesting things about the list, all of our highest-rated quarterbacks from last year, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Justin Herbert— Joe Burrow, they're all in the middle of the pack, right? And they're in the middle of the pack because we're just gauging the drop-off. They all had high, clean pocket passing grades. They all had not disastrous pressured pocket grades. All those guys, Brady, Herbert, Rogers, Burrow, all graded between, you know, 54 and 61 under pressure, right? So not great, but clearly under pressure, that's pretty decent, and they're all 90-plus as far as clean pocket goes. So I think, like, you want your quarterback to probably be in the middle of the pack here, right? You don't want them to be a disaster under pressure and you don't want them to be
1: a disaster in a clean pocket either because that's the guys at the bottom of the list. The so- only quarterback that that was an elite quarterback that was in, in the bottom end of this in terms of there wasn't a big drop off was Josh Allen. Josh Allen, yeah. 30th out of 32 quarterbacks. So his clean pocket grade, actually, I mean, it's not like it was bad, but it wasn't amazing. 81.6, which is fine. But, you know, that's marginally better than Jalen Hurts. It's, you know, it's not a phenomenal uh, passing grade at all. But his pressured passing grade was 63.8. So that wasn't a big drop off. He was particularly good under pressure, which, you know, generally, I mean, it's, it doesn't mean anything necessarily, but because of what we talked about of, you know, the the volatility of that number, it's at least a little bit of a, a red flag to say maybe that area of Josh Allen's game gets worse next year. Ooh, now, you're, that you're could be entirely a Josh Allen
0: regression. You heard it here first. Sam thinks Josh Allen. Send the apology form back. Mm-hmm.
1: Sam thinks Josh Allen's going to regress next year. Now, that could be entirely offset by him improving next year in a clean pocket, right? Because as I say, that is not a phenomenal clean pocket grade for Josh Allen. And if we see him jump forward in that area, it could completely offset any regression that happens uh, in terms of pressure. Also, Josh Allen, as we've seen, is kind of a freak. (laughs) It's entirely possible that Josh Allen is freaky enough in terms of what he's able to do to just break that you know as a as a data point and be a perennially good player under pressure better than you know average guys better than the normal quarterback is able to achieve and that you know that's entirely not beyond the realms of possibility i don't think he's had you know in as long as josh allen has been good which admittedly is a two-year sample size he hasn't been bad under pressure right his pff grade has been at least 65.6 under pressure in either of those two seasons, right? That's abnormally high. So that could be him, right? This is a six foot five, 240 pound dude that can juke defensive banks, jump over linebackers and power his way through defensive linemen, right? That allows you to do an awful lot under pressure that other quarterbacks simply do not have in the golf bag. Um, on the other hand, you know, so it's it's battling that against, like, the inherent volatility of play under pressure. So the way you would read this list, again, pff.com,
0: we're looking at article ranking the quarterbacks under pressure from 2021. Again, it's a one-year sample size. And their biggest differences from clean pocket to pressured pocket. If you're reading this list, the players at the top of the list, you might think, hey, this bodes well for them. This actually bodes well that Garoppolo and Tua – davis mills justin fields Jameis winston's five Derek carr six these guys had a big drop off under pressure last year let's because of the volatility there that could get better those guys could have better seasons this year the guys at the bottom of the list you might think could regress and that includes josh allen there you just described why hey maybe he's an outlier in that case but the other guys maybe to be concerned about dak prescott 27th overall in as far as the difference between clean pockets of pressure. He was really good under pressure last year. Is that going to regress? J- J- Jared Goff was 28th. Daniel Jones, 29th. You mentioned Allen was 30th. I think 31 and 32 are interesting, though, the last two. Carson Wentz and then Jalen Hurts. The guys, they both graded in the 70s from a clean pocket, but Wentz was not that bad under pressure. Hurts was actually pretty good under pressure, relatively, if those regress a little bit and they maintain their status from a clean pocket, it could be a rough season for a couple of NFC East quarterbacks, Carson Wentz, Jalen hurts. It's a big year for Hurts to figure out, okay, is he going to continue to progress? And then with Wentz, just a weird season overall for him, right? I mean, he's always had, he's had a lot of, he's had some decent years under pressure. Cause he's got I, weird. We're going to say this. He's Josh Allen light, I guess, right? Like when Wentz came out, he was described the same big dude cannon for an arm athletic, so you see some of those freak plays from Wentz, um, but he just kind of dropped off at the end of the season, and he just wasn't efficient enough from a clean pocket. And then Hurts, I assume A.J. Brown is going to make everything get better for Jalen Hurts, but having a 63 grade uh, when uh, in a pressured pocket, that is tough to maintain for anybody, you know, no matter what your situation is. So Wentz and Hurts are guys who, again, weren't great last year, but also have this profile that says, hey, they could actually get worse based off the way this breakdown goes
1: yeah um there's a lot of there's a lot of data in Carson Wentz's season which if you you know you talked about the box score being a particularly crampy measure of football generally I I don't know if there's a better way of pointing that out than Carson Wentz last season right Carson Wentz last season there are a lot of people that are sort of saying you know he was he was fine he was good because you look at 27 touchdowns and seven interceptions. That's like, you know, an almost Aaron Rodgers type of touchdown to interception ratio and touchdown interception ratio is just sort of, like it's just advanced enough that it feels like smart analysis. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, like we're way we're beyond, you know, cumulative yards and just (laughs) touchdown. Like we're now looking at the ratio and the ratio is like that's 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 math that's smart that's analytics right so there were people that were like oh you know, in touchdown interception rate. Right? that's great therefore carson wentz in indianapolis was actually fine and everybody that's sort of saying this guy was terrible including by the way like the people that just dropped kicked him out of the building that were that brought him over there last year th- those guys lit him on fire on their way out the door and said this was catastrophic um the 20, the touchdown interception ratio lies badly about what Carson Wentz did last season. That was an offense that kind of protected him reasonably well. And there was still quite a lot of ugly play in there. And it, it didn't necessarily happen under pressure, which is the really concerning thing. So, you know, Wentz has been all over the place under pressure throughout his career. He's had insanely good seasons under pressure. And that's where you got that like MVP caliber year from, which is why at the time, You know, we were saying, this this is pretty unsustainable here. I'm not sure you're going to see this guy again. Um, And then you've also gotten reasonable seasons under pressure. But the fact that that means that the sort of the bad that everybody saw from Carson Wentz last season, if you watch the games, generally wasn't happening under pressure. It wasn't a product of the pressure that was coming. It was just bad. That, I think, is worrying for projecting him forward you know, to a new team and a new environment, et cetera. Yeah, man, I'm uh, I'm not going to push back on you for that, you know. I'm
0: supposed to push back on you more, but sometimes we agree. A lot of times okay. we agree. So, yeah, Wentz 31, Hurts 32 on the list. Go check it out. Ranking the quarterbacks under pressure in 2021 and their drop-offs.
1: You understand that Greg Rosenthal is just sitting there shaking his head in disappointment at, at you. There's no
0: way he's – this deep into it there's no way he listens to all of our content right
1: i i don't know maybe the man's you know maybe he's got some time for podcasts maybe Maybe he's he's you know on the bike right on the peloton instead of the music or the the motivational dude on the tv or however the hell peloton works listens to us he's he's, listen to us i
0: think that we we should be a peloton station how's that (laughs) work i don't know that's that motivate
1: you know that there's that motivation
0: motivational trainer pff nfl podcast yeah let us know should we do that uh anything else you want to hit on today this baker question and then we're out
1: yeah let's do that because twitter's mad at me oh Um, why so i was on uh ari mayroff's podcast yeah uh, my sports update that's his twitter handle um you know one of pff's kind of nfl insider guys and you know we talked about a bunch of things and one of the things we were talking about is how the funny thing is for so the Rumors swirling about Baker to the Seahawks now. There's been rumors about Baker to Carolina, you know, before we know that Baker's presumably going to get traded at some point, blah, 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 This is the sort of the background, all this. And we were talking about how the funny thing is from Baker's point of view, his only good, good quote unquote, like environment to be in for this year is Cleveland, right? Like when you look at supporting cast, Seattle is one of the worst rosters in the NFL. Like, without Russell Wilson, that team is a dumpster fire now. And putting Baker Mayfield on it doesn't do Baker Mayfield a lot of good in terms. Because remember, like, he had the contract pulled out from under him, right? The rug pulled out from under his feet. That's why he's pissed off with the Browns. They went after Deshaun Watson. All of a sudden, because he played hurt all year, Baker's gone from, like, hey, is my $40 million a year deal just over the horizon to, like, I have one shot now at securing like another starting gig somewhere so i don't think you want to do that in seattle this year because that team is terrible um i don't know that you want to do it in in carolina because it's the environment doesn't look you've got good receivers in pretty in both in both teams to be fair carolina you know went to work a little bit on the offensive line i still don't think that line is good i don't know that the offense generally is a great situation the team looks like it's heading on its way to ward everybody getting fired. So I don't know that that's a great environment either. And that's pretty much the only two teams that need a quarterback, right? So if you're Baker Mayfield and you're saying, right, I need one good year to convince the league that I don't suck because apparently that's where they think I am. The only place that's possible is Cleveland. I just don't think that's happening in either of the other two teams. So he's now in this tough spot where – Deshaun Watson might get suspended for the whole year, right? And all of a sudden the Browns are now in this situation where the guy they traded everything for is on the shelf. They have a super bowl contending caliber roster and the options, at quarterback are Jacoby Brissett for an entire year, or somehow we, we mend the burned bridge with Baker Mayfield and he starts for a year. And I, but essentially tweeted this out and Browns fans are big mad. They're like, do you understand? It's dead. It's done. They burned the bridge. They don't want any part of Baker. He's never playing for the Browns again. He's out of here. They're trying to get rid of his salary. They're willing to eat it. So he goes somewhere else. All of these things are true, but if the Browns have some sense, they should take a beat, analyze the situation and realize that in this, if, if Deshaun Watson does get suspended for an entire year, Cleveland and Baker Mayfield's um, goals are actually in perfect alignment, even if they hate each other, right? That it's actually the best thing for both teams or for both parties, rather, if Baker Mayfield is the starting quarterback, because he's by far their best option.
0: Compelling case, Sam, but you're, you're also the guy that's Mr. Touchy feely QB room guy, mm-hmm. Right. You're yep. the same guy that's like, oh, you can't draft two quarterbacks. They're going to get upset. They're going to be sad. Yep. yep. We do literally have a broken bridge, a burnt bridge in right. Cleveland. This would be like, see if I can get an extra metaphor here. We're trying to take the PFF NFL podcast to the next step, next level. We fire Sam. We hire Greg Rosenthal. Greg's going to take us to the promised land. And then he gets in here uh-huh. and gets arrested. Greg's crazy. He's just doing some shady stuff behind the scenes. And we don't know. Gets arrested. He's out. And we come crawling back to you. Hey, the Greg experiment didn't work out. We need Sam. Right? And we come back to you. We haven't traded you yet. You're still in the building, but you've been kicked off the podcast. You coming back? You coming, hey, this is best for my career. got to go back to the PFF NFL podcast. What am I going to do? Start a podcast with Renner? That's not going to go anywhere. You're going to come back? To me, there's no there's a burnt bridge there, Sam. Mm. And I mean, I mean this is just a bad example, but it that's a really burnt bridge <laughs> in Cleveland. It is. And yeah. I'm by, by but, the way, I don't have any inside information that Greg is a potential felon or anything like that. I'm just Okay,
1: just important just caveat. Yeah. Yeah. Um the the thing is, so it is. It's general generally speaking, I'm against upsetting the Apple Cart and pissing off a starting quarterback. The thing is, they've already done it, right? Like they already burned the bridge. They they went after Deshaun Watson. They secured Deshaun Watson, and consequently, Baker Mayfield is pissed off. He doesn't want to play for you anymore. Um, that's why you don't do that, right? That's why generally you don't upset the, the incumbent quarterback because he gets the hump and he wants out. But that's already the case. So it's not like you can piss him off further. All you need to do is for both is to persuade both sides that. Look at the options, right? Look at your alternatives, right? I already outlined the Baker Mayfield alternatives. You you don't want to play for Cleveland, fine. Your alternatives are you go to Carolina, that team probably sucks, you don't get another starting gig. You go to Seattle, that team really sucks, you don't get another starting gig. You're only shot at the second contract that you want, the big, you know, life-changing, set-for-generations type of wealth that you were on the cusp of a year ago. Your only chance at that money is a season in Cleveland where you play well and convince everybody else that, you know, your bad year was the shoulder, right? From Cleveland's point of view, they don't have Deshaun Watson. They have a super bowl contending roster. Your two alternatives are Jacoby Brissett or like some random from the street, right? Or, or you convince Baker Mayfield that he plays for you again, or Josh Dobbs. Yes. Which some random off the street, I think covers Josh Dobbs. Um, So if you're all or your final alternative is we just literally set fire to this season, right? You've assembled a championship caliber roster and we are going to torch one year of that window. We're simply going to burn it rather than bring Baker Mayfield into the building because of the risk of what that could do to, to, you know, to a locker room or to the environment or whatever. I would simply argue that there is no conceivable scenario where their alternatives are better than the year of Baker first, Mayfield playing pissed off to try and earn himself a deal. First off, I would love to see this. Okay. Yeah, of course. I would love to see this happen. And, and listen, hang on. One final point. Do you think I'm it actually. To, go ahead. One, I'm not trying to say this would be pleasant for everybody involved, right? This would be a miserable, antagonistic, toxic, tense environment for all year where it is clear that everybody hates each other. Stay right?
0: together for the kids. Baker but, Cleveland,
1: but look at the, the sporting world that has worked before, right? Kobe and Shaq hated each other for most of their careers. Michael Jordan and that dude from the front office couldn't stand each other, Jerry and Krause. they were winning championships, right? This is this is something that has happened. Think of the number of times where teams and players have gone head to head over a contract. You know, they've stared each other down. Like the holdout didn't work. The dude got his ass back in the building and just worked right and played well and had a good year that's what we're talking about here it would be unpleasant for everybody involved but it would be one year and it's the only way this team isn't bad this year
0: okay two points on this though first of all because i would love to see it happen i think it'd be awesome i think compet- first first point competitors don't view situations the way we do as analysts i don't think players sometimes they do Like, you'd rather be in a good – you want to be in a good situation, but we don't always – it's not always defined the way we do it. We define good situations by, like, looking at their offensive line and look at their receivers and this is good and whatever. They're looking at their coaches, you know, the environment to develop. But as competitors, they're also saying, I'm good. I'm going to elevate the Seahawks. I'm going to elevate the Panthers, right? So the competitive situation. The second point – All of these decisions that the Browns made, they knew in the back of their mind Deshaun Watson could be suspended. Now, more recently, it's come out that it seems that the NFL is going to push for a year-long suspension. We'll see where it lands. Maybe at the time, they anticipated eight games or whatever, ten games or whatever, and they're like, hey, we can handle that, and we'll bring in Jacoby Brissett. He's the best, one of the better backups in the league. He's got starting experience. Let's do that. But also, in the the real back of their mind, they had to know – there was a worst case scenario here, and they went still went forward with the decision to not only pursue Deshaun Watson, but to bring in Jacoby Brissett to essentially let, you know, make it known that Baker Mayfield's not going to be a Brown any longer and put him out in the trading block and all that stuff. Now, I don't know if there was a really, there, I don't know if there was a world where they could hedge and say, no, like, I think- you know, they, they were, but they, they, they entered this world willingly. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, All that said, I would love to see it. I mean, I do – I agree with the premise that if Baker wants to have one year to hit the market and prove what he can do, I agree. Cleveland would be the best situation versus Seattle or Carolina or there's nowhere else, right? The Giants. I mean, there's nowhere else where he could go. Knows the system. Like, we're already at this point where, like, learning a new system and – interacting with new receivers and all that stuff is tough so i agree with that premise i i just don't know if if it's just too late and
1: and this is a pipe dream but i would i would be entertained by this i would so here's the thing i would want to see I, I think it. it probably is too late in a pipe dream I, I i don't think the cleveland browns are interested i don't think baker mayfield is interested i don't think either party is interested in this scenario right the problem is i think they should be i think both sides need to realize that this is the reality they're facing which is if Watson isn't there, the only way there's success for either side is if they're together, even no matter how much they hate each other. Um, the two things I would say, uh, one, you brought up, so you're right. Baker Mayfield probably doesn't think the same way I think in terms of that guy's only chance of success is being in Cleveland. Uh, but that's the responsibility of his agent, right? And dude, if that if anybody's agent owes him one, it's baker mayfield's agent because he didn't shut him down last year right somebody baker mayfield was you know we t- there's that phrase of duty of care right whoever is whoever was sort of surrounding baker mayfield last year all failed him in terms of duty of care you know that guy went out there played all season with a busted shoulder that only got worse as the year wore on and nobody shut him down right the team should have shut him down at some point. His advisors certainly should have shut him down. Now I don't know if Baker Mayfield just overruled them all and was like, "No, I'm playing. Screw you guys." And every step of the way, everybody else was trying to get him to shut down. But for for him to have been allowed, essentially, to like Baker Mayfield destroyed his career last year, uh, and some and people allowed him to do that. So Baker Mayfield's agent, I would suggest, owes him a solid, right. And if that solid is sitting him down and trying to give him some home truths of like, dude, I love you, but we haven't seen enough from you to suggest that you can make Seattle into a contending team, you know, and earn yourself a second deal. Certainly when compared with the the team you have around you in Cleveland right now, you need to swallow your pride. You need to get on with it and you just need to stay in Cleveland, right? That somebody needs to sit Baker Mayfield down and explain that to him. And to me, that's the job of his agent. Secondly, I would make the argument that, look, Carson Wentz, right? Carson Wentz gets mad, gets butthurt. The dude starts playing like an absolute shell of himself, and Carson Wentz is broken. Carson Wentz, I would suggest, does not play well when Carson Wentz is mad, right? I would suggest that Baker Mayfield falls into the category of Sidney Dean from White Men Can't Jump, right? Yep. And remember when Woody Harrelson is winding him up? He's like, what are you doing? He goes, I'm doing two things. I'm making them mad because most people don't play well when they're mad. And then he goes, so you're pissing me off. He goes, yeah, that's the other thing I'm doing, because I think you play better when you're mad. I don't mm-hmm. think you're like those other people. I think Baker Mayfield plays better when he's mad. I think a pissed-off Baker Mayfield is like a pissed-off Aaron Rodgers, and those guys play well when they're annoyed, right? We've seen that throughout his college career. All right, not so much in the NFL, but in college, you know, when people were – when he would find ways to be annoyed, right? The planning the flag thing, the – beaning a dude warming up in his end zone all these things baker mayfield found ways of being irritated and baker mayfield played well when he was irritated i would suggest that baker mayfield playing with like a permanent chip on his shoulder all season because he hates the team would actually result in a pretty good baker mayfield
0: so i agree with that point too that you you would have a better he he's one of those quarterbacks that that could work for I think what you just mentioned about the agent thing and Baker and stuff, I mean, that could be the Browns' pitch here if they do want this, right? And say, look, we know you put it on the line last year for us. We know you went out there and played hurt. We know you went out there and played hurt, and it affected your performance. And that's, how, and that's perhaps soured our relationship. However, here are your options, Baker. We could trade you to Seattle. By the way, have you seen that they have two rookie tackles? Have you, mm. have you seen that? You know, um, now if the offensive line's decent in Seattle, throwing to DK and Tyler Lockett's not bad. Seattle might not have a great roster, but it's not a terrible situation if they could sort out the O line. But anyway. If,
1: if the offensive line
0: has been crippling for a decade, isn't crippling this year. I'm just saying. It's not completely unattractive to throw to DK and Lockett. But option one, we could send you to Seattle. Option two, we could send you to Carolina. Have you seen their situation over there? Again, you could talk yourself into Carolina not being that bad. O line's better. Uh, you have DJ Moore. You got Robbie Anderson there, even though he's had issues. I mean, you have Christian McCaffrey. You could convince yourself that Carolina or Seattle's not as disastrous as we may put it in, like, roster rankings and all that stuff. But Cleveland's pitch could be simple here. Look, you know Watson's out. You know Watson's going to be our guy next year. This is your best opportunity. I mean, the Browns could sell it to Baker and his agent. The same way you're selling it. We're going to give you an opportunity to shine. We appreciate what you've done for the organization. I was talking to a Browns fan this weekend who's like, Baker's my guy forever. You know why? He beat the Steelers in the playoffs. You know, like <laughs> Browns fans, there are some Browns fans who view it through that lens. Like we never made yeah. the playoffs. Baker Baker was a hero for a little bit. He beat the Steelers in the playoffs. You know, like
1: I'm with this guy forever. Um, just pitch that to him. Pitch that also- back to him. I also think by the way that like the trade should not be a determining factor here because Baker Mayfield's trade value right now is awful. Like we are talking about the only way they can even make a trade happen is if Cleveland eats half of his contract this year. You know, so what are you you're going to get what? A mid to low round pick maximum, right? Yeah. versus if he plays well this year and signs somewhere next year for a decent deal, you're going to get a compensatory draft pick, right? And all the the difference, which might end up being the same as the pick you were going to get this year in terms of um, any kind of trade you can make happen with Carolina or Seattle. And the only difference is you paid him a full year of his salary instead of half a season of his salary for presumably much better play than you would get out of Jacoby Brissett. So for Cleveland, I think the trade aspect versus like letting him walk next year is essentially a wash. What you are actually evaluating is the nightmare of a Baker Mayfield-led team this year versus like how much better he is than Jacoby Brissett and what we can achieve this year. And by the way, like the the Baker Mayfield hate has gone like completely round the bend because I'm getting a bunch of people tweeting me saying there's no difference between Baker Mayfield and Jacoby Brissett. Now, look, Jacoby Brissett is a fun, hilarious player to watch play football. But if you're of the opinion that there's no difference between Baker and Jacoby Brissett, you're out of your freaking mind because that's insane.
0: Now, somebody might push back and say, well, last year, Jacoby Brissett graded better than Baker Mayfield. And I would just say when we make two healthy shoulders, with, with these evaluations, you have to figure out the other factors here. Brissett had a smaller sample size. He has two full starting seasons where he graded under 60 both years, 2017, 2019, with the Colts. So when we've seen Jacoby Brissett as a starter, he's always been worse than Baker Mayfield's four years as a starter. So yes, Baker Mayfield, overall, better player
1: than Jacoby Brissett. I would say a significantly better player. Anyway, so the, the upshot of all this is, I agree with everybody saying it won't happen, right? I don't think either side wants this. In fact, I think both sides very much don't want it. But I would argue that both of those sides need to sit back and analyze the alternatives and say, that we need to make this happen. In Cleveland's situation in particular, you do not I don't remember. When was the last time you can think of a championship or a team that thought of themselves as contenders voluntarily burning a, a season right saying this is not a, we're gonna not we're willingly not contending this year with a championship caliber contending team teams essentially sacrifice a season regularly but they're usually the ones that suck I right? don't think the Browns I, again I don't think they would view it that way come on I they're think not they convincing would look themselves
0: they're still contenders with Jacoby, they would, Jacoby say, okay, they would look at Jacoby Brissett and say okay they would look at Jacoby Brissett and say first off last year he did play pretty well overall fine secondly they would say because we've built such a good system around him he'll be good enough and then thirdly they'll say well we don't have the distraction of baker right we don't have the drama we don't have all of that other stuff they can convince themselves that jacoby Brissett is a better option than baker mayfield at this time with the other things circling around baker with the burnt bridge
1: Andrew Berry is a smart man. The Browns are an analytic organization. They just watch the entire AFC engage in a Cold War esque arms race to the moon. There in, is not a in hope which they in hell yeah. that that side, that that collection of people, believes that this team is still even relevant in a Super Bowl conversation with Jacoby. But Brissette they're compar- in the discussion. But the discussion is Jacoby Brissett or Baker Mayfield.
0: Yeah, in that discussion, they can make the case that Jacoby
1: Brissett. Is a better option given everything that's happened with Baker. That's my point. I, I but your, I think that the question is: Is there any chance whatsoever of winning a Super Bowl with either of these quarterbacks? The answer with Jacoby Brissett is absolutely no. Like, just no. Period! Exclamation point! Whatever punctuation you want to put on it. No. The answer with Baker Mayfield is not as clear. It's probably not. But there's, there's at least it's not equivocal the way it is with with Brissett.
0: Let us know. What do you think? Should Baker Mayfield go to the Browns? Light up Sam at PFF underscore Sam. Especially if you disagree. Especially if you disagree. Well, we've got – it was a fun show. Good discussion. Want to hear everybody chime in. Leave us uh, comments if you want to react to everything we've discussed here. Um, Also, don't forget, tell a friend about the PFF NFL podcast, especially here in the offseason. But most importantly, leading into next season, be with us every single week. Because uh, that's what we do, break down games. We threw an extra show in there for you guys last year, planning on doing a lot of the same for next year. So uh, thanks to Manscaped. Thanks to Underdog Fantasy for being a part of the show. Don't forget 25% off using the promo code NFLPOD and get in touch with us uh, via email, NFLPodcast at PFF.com. Follow us on TikTok, on Twitter, the whole deal. Uh, PFF NFL Podcast on TikTok at PFF pod on Twitter. We'll be back on Thursday with some more great NFL action. Thanks for tuning in.